Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. A warm hello to all our listeners. Thank you for joining us on this latest edition of Bank Julius Baer's Beyond Markets podcast. Today we'll be talking about how our organization collaborates with local partners in Singapore to benefit and give back to society. My name is Wenhan and I'm part of the JB Julius Baer Cares Singapore chapter, which is part of a global network of volunteer-led organizations in various locations. The areas of focus are education, health, and children, tying in smoothly with the mission and goal of the Julius Baer Foundation, which is to reduce inequalities in education, opportunity, and wealth. We're pleased to introduce Beyond Social Services, which is a Singapore-based NGO and charity with whom we've engaged for over a decade, working together to help lower-income families and less privileged people in Singapore. We have with us today from Beyond Social Services, Ms. Raganayaki Tangavelu. She's part of the management team at Beyond, and with her is a colleague and community worker, Ms. Sharifa Nureza, daughter of Said Ayub Alsegov. Ranga, could you please describe a little of Beyond's history, mission, and program for SAI? How have these for SAI evolved over the years? Hi, Wenhan. Very happy to be here. Beyond Social Services will be celebrating its 55th anniversary next year. So we've been around a long time. We came out of the two very big fires in Bukit Hosui that happened in the 60s. Beyond nurtures various efforts where community networks are strengthened and neighbours can help each other. That is somewhat of our DNA. So if you were to visualise a fire happens, Many people lose their flats and how other neighbours took them into their homes. So we are in 68 one- and two-room government rental flats in central Singapore. And to visualise a one-room rental flat is about 23 square metres, which is as big as maybe if you live in a five-room flat, just a living room. That's all there is. And families living here generally earn less than $1,500 per month. And majority of the families have four or more members in the family. So it is rather a crowded space that they live in. Previously, we used to run a lot of programs to address delinquency, child safety, and family issues within the family. And this is more of a problem-solving methodology. But in the last decade, we have kind of moved further upstream to look at how can we support families even while they live in these situations where problems are bound to occur. So how can we strengthen families, individuals, and the whole community to address these social issues and grow from strength to strength? So that is what Beyond exists for. What is your view on the state of poverty in Singapore? Singapore is a very rich country, but like in every other country in the world, poverty exists. And there are various ways of viewing poverty, the word itself. So there's absolute poverty where you don't have the basic needs. You don't have food on a daily basis and so on. And you would often link that to the developing countries where you might see beggars on the streets. And there's relative poverty. So in relative poverty, it may not be so clear that people are poor. But in relation to the median income or the families that live virtually with a little bit of uh, savings, then you're poor. So in Singapore, there is definitely relative poverty and you would see signs of absolute poverty as well for some people. We would like to describe the families that we live, that we work with from these two terms, overstressed and undersupported. So they're constantly working and they're constantly trying to earn money for their families, but it is not enough. So there is an overstressed part of it. When we say under-supported, it is not because of the different programs that they receive funding through. It is more because they cannot change much of their livelihood at this point in time. Looking for other jobs or looking for more training to get onto other jobs is an additional thing that they have to do while they're trying to make ends meet. So when you look at it that way, then 
we have to look at the measures that we are using in terms of poverty in Singapore. So I would like to see that families at least have sufficient resources to have very small luxuries, I would say. So a cake on a birthday is not a luxury for all of us. But to these families, buying a cake, which could cost anything from $40 upwards, is a luxury. So they don't even celebrate their birthdays. So my view of the state of poverty in Singapore is we think we have just enough, but there are families that are constantly living in this state and the stress just builds up over time and it causes other issues like physical issues or they really give up hope that they'll ever get out of this trap. According to sources readily available online, the Gini coefficient data on Singapore has actually improved from 2013 to 2022, dropping from 0.39 to 0.36. For our listeners out there, a lower Gini coefficient data would actually mean more equal society within that particular country under the study. So, given your experience on the ground, would you agree or disagree with those statistics? I would say that the Gini coefficient is one measure and there are different ways that the Gini coefficient is calculated. So, what I understand is that the Gini coefficient does not give you a full picture of wealth disparity in a country as it measures income from labour. So, it is the difference between all the people who are earning in Singapore And government transfers during the COVID-19 pandemic years somewhat contributed to the reduction in the Gini coefficient. And if there were more government transfers, you know, we get a lot of CDC vouchers and we, you know, we get other support as inflation hits, then that will definitely bring down the Gini coefficient. But that doesn't necessarily improve the lives of the people on the ground. So I would still like us to use the Gini coefficient as a background information to see that, you know, we are doing something to meet the inequality in Singapore. But at the same time, we should be focusing on the quality of life of the people on the lower ends of our society. So I take that to mean that the Gini coefficient is a useful number, but it's not a full reflection, obviously, of what's actually happening on the ground. Exactly. There have been many success stories over the years of Beyond Social Services' impact on individuals and communities. This question, I'd like to refer it to Sharifa, community worker and staff at Beyond Social Services. Could you share a success story or two? Before we get to the success story, let me ask you a question. Let's say you do not have enough to provide milk powder for your children. What do you think you provide for them? Well, I think in such a situation, we'd be willing to beg, to steal, to do whatever it takes to get some money to ensure that our children are fed well before we are fed ourselves. I mean, I can only imagine not having had such an experience myself as a parent how a parent would feel if you don't have enough uh, funds to provide basic necessities. So for our mothers in, our, in the community, they, they will use diluted condensed milk or Milo powders to actually feed their children. La. So one such mother is Ella. They are, in this diluted condensed milk, la, there are no nutrients that you need at all that you know a growing baby needs. But over the years, she still sees mothers facing the similar experience as her. So then she sees it as an opportunity to help other mothers access milk powders. So she has since then connected mothers to resources for milk powder. So you see, we, we used to have a mother who used to struggle and but is now a leader in the community helping other members with similar experience. So that is success to us. And apart from mother leaders in the community, we also nurtured a lot of youths to take on leadership roles. So when youth steps up as a youth volunteer or leader, they acquire skills like event management, communication skills, etc. And these skills actually 
help them when they're looking for employment or inspire them to study with something in relation to those skills. Mm-hmm. Would that mean that you've noticed a level of delinquency come down in the neighborhoods that you provide for and serve over the years? Maybe I'll answer that. And we don't have data to prove that delinquency has come down. But when we walk in the streets and we speak to the parents there, we find that youth and children are better engaged in school and participating in their interests of choice, whether it be music or sport. So I think the way that, you know, what Sharifa has shared about the success is when a mother is struggling to provide meals for the child and we see that she has the lived experience of that. And then when she looks around, the fact that she wants to volunteer in the community to improve the situation is the impact that we're looking at. So it is not so much that we can't say that no child will go hungry in the neighborhood, but with this mother's efforts, chances are no child will go hungry in the neighborhood. So that's what we are trying to do. And to measure the delinquency figures, for instance, we need more support to find that data if it's available from the police or the courts. Beyond Social Services does asset mapping projects from time to time when taking over responsibility for new areas of low-income housing. Can you describe what asset mapping means, Sharifa? Asset in definition here is not the same as the asset in banking or financial sector, right? But it holds the same weight, asset in the sense of we discover strength, skills, resources and interests. So actually, there are many types of resources even in our low-income neighbourhood. So these resources can be people, shops, community centres. Okay, so when we do asset mapping, our volunteers and staff will literally have conversations with all these different service providers, doctors of the clinics, you know, and mark down all these different resources. How this would help is that before this asset mapping, we may not be aware of all these resources in our community and our members too, you know, and they will not utilize these resources. But from these resources, we can leverage on them to uncover solutions. We can then connect our community members and link them to these resources. So one example of such resources is Project Masala. It started with a family having COVID and unable to step out. But in our low-income neighborhood, we have a lot of entrepreneurs. We have a lot of like mothers who do cooking home-based business. Right? So these mothers actually come together and rally and then with support of donors, they cook for families who had COVID and deliver the food to them. So it's like support for the community with the strengths that they have. For the listeners who uh, didn't understand the word masakla, it's actually a Malay word meaning to cook. Yes, yeah. <laughs> as with all charities, volunteers do provide an important and integral support network as you have rightly pointed out with an example over there, Sharifa. Can volunteers get involved in these mapping projects and what is usually expected of them? Mm, yeah, I think in community work, volunteers also play a very important role. So volunteers, what they do during our asset mapping is that they will engage families, children and youth to learn about community relationship, look out for assets and then potential areas of interest. This will look like engaging residents door-to-door, even walk about and, you know, surveying the neighbourhood. To do all that, right, our volunteers would, of course, have to be open-minded and interested to learn about other cultures. They also have to be proactive and comfortable in, you know, interacting with children, youth and adults from disadvantaged backgrounds. From my understanding on what assets mean, as you pointed out earlier, strengths, skills and resources within the community, a clear example could be within the community finding out certain groups of babysitters who provide services for other mothers who have children that need care given while they're outside at work, for example, right? Yeah. And another example that I remember now is a mother who secretly actually look out for elderly living in isolation. 
you know, we don't know. We don't know until when we ask her about her neighbors and she said, oh, there's, you know, she could name all her elderly in isolation and she said that, oh, whenever you all give us resources, I would make sure to put their name in, to include them. So in that story, the mother is the asset and then she becomes a resource for the whole community so that others can pay attention to the elderly who are living alone. What other tasks can volunteers take on for Beyond Social Services and how can they offer their time? Aranga, if you could handle this last question, do share some details so our listeners can follow up. You can be a part of our community in any way to contribute, whether it's through volunteering or donations. So Julius Bear has been a dedicated partner over many years and we've been working together for I think now a decade, I think, and we appreciate all the support that we've received so far. So if you want to learn more about our volunteering efforts, you can go to our website at www.beyond.org.sg or you can also get in touch with the JB Cares SG team and colleagues. So for the keen listeners uh, who want to start your volunteering journey, maybe I'll leave you with something to think about, reflect on. We share this in our volunteer orientation as well. To volunteer, you already have taken the first step to want to do something for someone in need. So I just ask you to reflect on how have you been helped in the past when you were at a point where you needed help? And when was the last time you've offered some time for volunteer activities to reach out to somebody? So just with these two questions, you can think about how your volunteering journey with Beyond can start. Heartfelt thanks to Ranga and Sharifa for being on the podcast with us today. We look forward to more years of fruitful collaboration. Before we end, here's a quick message to our Julius Bayer Singapore colleagues. Julius Bayer Cares Singapore chapter will be launching a four-month volunteer project with Beyond Social Services in September. So please look out for our next email for details. Thank you to all our listeners and we'll see you next time. Thank you. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Bear. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Bear, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbear.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives or other products or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.